We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 288 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, April 8th, 2022. Happy Friday to you and yours. This is the day after a not so glorious opening day for the Nationals, but this also is the day after a rather glorious first round at the Masters for Tiger Woods. Even if you're not a golf fan, how do you not appreciate what El Tigre did on Thursday? He's 46. He nearly lost his right leg in that car crash in February 2021. Doctors inserted a rod in the tibia of his right leg and inserted plates and screws in his right ankle and foot. And he, on Thursday, in his first competitive round of golf in 508 days, shot a what under par 71. Not bad. Not bad at all. Hello and welcome to a Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcaster show that is with you every weekday and is out oh so early in the morning, out in the 5 a.m. hour, sometimes even earlier. Uh, You know, we late night on Thursday night while many of you were sleeping, while some of you were engaged in deviant acts, had breaking commander's news. Uh, DeAndre Carter is gone. Yes, no more DeAndre. Uh, He reportedly has agreed on a one-year contract with the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm not thrilled about this. Uh, I don't get why the commander's didn't resign Carter. I mean, not that losing him is some death blow to the commanders, but Carter in the 2021 regular season for Washington was great on kickoff returns and was more of a factor as a receiver than was anticipated, and he doesn't cost much. Uh, next segment, I'll discuss the free agent defection of DeAndre Carter. I'm also going to talk about yet another stud NFL receiver signing a big money contract this offseason. Buffalo Bills receiver and Maryland product Stefan Diggs and what this means for our commander's stud receiver Terry McLaurin and the contract extension for him. Uh, spoiler alert, Terry not signing a contract extension right now may well be the best thing 
that he can do from a negotiating standpoint. As much as we want the commanders to sign Terry to a contract extension, it may well be that Terry and his agent are like, nah, you know what? We're good. Let's let the market keep being reset by all of these other big money receiver contracts. Uh, Special guest on the show, my friend, my pal, Andy Polin, the host of the Andy Polin Hour, which you can hear weekday mornings at 10 on ESPN 630 DC, the sports capital. First time that I've had Andy on the podcast. I'm very happy to have him on. I will talk Dan Snyder with Andy. I will talk Jack Kent Cook with Andy as we on Wednesday marked the 25th anniversary of the death of Jack Ken Cook. Among the things that Andy and I will get into, why didn't Jack Ken Cook leave the Redskins to his son, John Ken Cook? I mean, if Jack had done that, we would not have wound up with the Danny as our owner. What is the deal with Jack having not left the skins to John? I'm going to talk about that with Andy as well as discuss the team of the now. We'll talk Carson Wentz and Ron Rivera. And yes, I will give you my thoughts on a rough opening day for the Nationals, a 5-1 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Thursday night in a game that ended shortly before midnight, thanks to a one-hour, 16-minute rain delay. Uh, Juan Soto did blast an impressive solo homer. Kbert Ruiz did look very good, both offensively and defensively, but otherwise, not exactly a stellar start to the Nats' 2022 regular season. Do not forget to give the podcast a stellar rating, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do not forget to write a brief one or two-sentence review on Apple Podcasts saying how much that you like the podcast, and thank you very much for doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Darren on a football stat of which he is not a fan, and it's a stat that has come up quite a bit with our new commander's quarterback, Carson Wentz, writes Darren, I dislike the touchdown pass to interception ratio. I dislike it because it doesn't have a meaningful interpretation. I'll explain what I mean with a couple of examples. Uh, first, from the world of investing, let's look at the price to earnings ratio. A price-to-earnings ratio can be interpreted as the amount of money you pay for a unit of earnings. It's easy to imagine how one might, when evaluating a potential stock investment, have an opinion on whether paying some number of dollars for each dollar of earnings is appropriate, although we can't just assume that a stock with a lower price-to-earnings ratio is a better deal than a stock with a higher price-to-earnings ratio. Next, here's one from baseball. We can imagine creating a home run to grounding into double play ratio. A homer is good and grounding into a double play is bad, so obviously a higher ratio will tend to be preferable to a lower one. But what is the relationship between home runs and grounding into double plays? Other than some sense that we'd like a high ratio, what does this ratio mean? On the other hand, it's easier to imagine a home run to strikeout ratio having some useful meaning, since it has been well known historically that players who hit for more power also tend to strike out more. If you can find a guy with an unusually high home run to strikeout ratio, that player could be unusually valuable, at least in the traditional non-analytics view. I have not kept up with modern baseball stats, but I gather that strikeouts are not considered as bad as they were before. Uh, You are correct about that, Darren. Uh, Yards per pass attempt is obviously a meaningful ratio. Sacks per dropback also works, but what is the relationship between touchdown passes 
and interceptions. Again, yes, one is good and the other is bad, but otherwise, there really isn't anything there. Uh, Thank you for the email, Darren. Good topic. Uh, Yeah, touchdown pass to interception ratio probably isn't something that we should bring up as often as we do. I do mention it mostly because it's a shorthand, a quick glance way of discussing what kind of a season a quarterback is having or had. Uh, By and large, a quarterback who has a good touchdown pass to interception ratio is having or has had a good season, and a quarterback who has a bad touchdown pass to interception ratio is having or has had a bad season. Uh, There are exceptions, but for the most part, a quarterback's touchdown pass to interception ratio does correlate to the season that he is having or has had. That said, we know that interceptions can be misleading because a quarterback can have many more interceptable passes than he has interceptions, and that actually was a thing for Carson Wentz last season. Uh, Conversely, a quarterback can have interceptions charged to him that are far more the faults of the people to whom the quarterback was throwing the footballs, as opposed to the interceptions being the fault of the quarterback. If you have receivers who are prone to drops and you have multiple interceptions that are the results of receivers letting balls bounce off their chests or bounce off their hands into the arms of defensive backs, well, should those interceptions really be charged to the quarterback? So no doubt, there are much better stats than touchdown pass to interception ratio to be looking at for quarterbacks. Uh, Yards per pass attempt is good. ESPN's total QBR is good. Expected points added or EPA is good. Uh, There are all kinds of incorporations of EPA. EPA per dropback is a good one. Uh, Pro football focus grades are good to look at. What's interesting with Carson Wentz with the Indianapolis Colts last season is that his stats really are all over the place. Uh, His touchdown pass to interception ratio was good, 27 to seven. Uh, his total QBR was good relative to the rest of the NFL, 54.7. That ranked ninth in the NFL among all qualified quarterbacks in the 2021 regular season. But also for Wentz in the 2021 regular season was him finishing just a 20th among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in yards per pass attempt at 6.9. And Wentz's EPA per dropback per true media for the 2021 regular season was negative 0.01. So he had a negative EPA per dropback. That's not what you want. And Wentz's overall grade for pro football focus for the 2021 regular season was just 70.9. I mean, that's certainly nothing special. So Wentz's 2021 regular season was complicated. There are things to really like, and uh, there are things that bother you. Uh, Email from Doc Martin in Tally as in Tallahassee, Florida, writes Doc, longtime listener and transplant from Nova to Florida for retirement. Why don't we call our commanders simply the Seas? I'm surprised I've not heard this yet, as it seems so obvious. Short and direct meets your one-syllable criterion. Uh, also, I am a fellow Little Hoya alum, class of 77, so I love your occasional references there. Love your show and always get a chuckle at some point during it. We all need more laughter these days. Uh, thank you, Doc. I appreciate that very much. Uh, so Georgetown Prep can boast as its alums, let's see, Brian Cashman, Bill and Michael Bidwell, Arthur Smith, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, John Wilkes Booth, myself, and Doc Martin in tally. That's quite a list. Uh, And yes, John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated Abraham Lincoln, went to my high school, Georgetown Prep High School, 
in Rockville, Maryland. You can look it up. You can Google that. As Dan Snyder said at Rod Rivera's introductory press conference as Redskins head coach, January 2020, everyone remembers the happy Thanksgiving thing. Don't forget about this thing, though. Danny said that's very, very hard to do. You should Google that. That's very, very hard to do. You should Google that. Yeah, yes, Danny. Thank you very much. We should Google that. Uh, actually, Doc sees as a potential nickname for the Commanders, has come up on this podcast. Uh, I suppose that C's could work. Uh, it does meet my requirement of being one syllable, although C's it just doesn't sound natural to me, but maybe we would get used to it. You know, part of the problem may be that when you call someone a C, uh, that is meant to be derogatory, right? The C word. I mean, one of the worst things that you can call a woman, right, is the C word. So maybe people would make fun of the commanders for being the C's. Look at these guys, a bunch of C words playing out there. I don't know. Uh, I feel like everything with the team has to be viewed through the prism of, will that thing lead to more mocking of the team? Because there just is so much mocking of the team going on these days. Well, I mentioned Abraham Lincoln. Did you know that it is believed that Honest Abe had skin issues, especially with his face. Yes, Abe had a variety of health issues, as you may know. If only Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland had been around in the 1800s, Abe could have gotten his issues taken care of. Well, lucky for you, Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are here now, and whatever your dermatological needs may be. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you're dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings, in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices don't offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you, but call 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, we late night on Thursday night had Commander's News that, to me, was not good. Uh, We late night on Thursday night had multiple reports that Commander's unrestricted free agent receiver and return man, DeAndre Carter, has agreed on a one-year contract 
with the Los Angeles Chargers. So DeAndre Carter is gone. DeAndre has departed. Uh, You know, DeAndre Carter had lingered in free agency for a while, and it felt like the commanders re-signing him may well not be happening because usually when you want a guy back and he's not a high-cost guy, you get the guy back sooner rather than later. Uh, But the commanders didn't do that. And in fact, the commanders resigning him isn't happening. Uh, He is gone. He has bolted uh, for the bolts. Uh, Now, look, I don't want to make too big of a deal of the commanders losing DeAndre Carter, but he was good for Washington last season. Washington signed Carter as an unrestricted free agent on April 1st, 2021. Carter in the 2021 regular season played in all 17 of Washington's games. He was excellent on kickoff returns. Uh, DeAndre Carter finished the 2021 regular season at number four in the NFL among all qualified players in yards per kickoff return at 25.1. And he was number two in the NFL in kickoff return yards at 904. Uh, Carter in the 34-30 win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four returned the opening kickoff of the second half, 101 yards for a touchdown. And uh, that kickoff return actually tied for the longest kickoff return in Washington history. Uh, DeAndre Carter, Brian Mitchell, and Rashad Ross, uh, each with a 101-yard kickoff return for a touchdown for Washington. Uh, Carter is known for being good on returns. It's why Washington signed him. He came to Washington having averaged 21.84 yards over 45 career regular season kickoff returns and 9.35 yards over 63 career regular season putt returns. And especially on kickoff returns, DeAndre Carter did not disappoint this past season. Now, these days, most kickoffs do result in touchbacks. I get that. Uh, But still, DeAndre Carter in the 2021 regular season was a weapon for Washington on kickoff returns. And you never like losing a quality weapon. Uh, Also, Carter in the 2021 regular season was more impactful as a receiver than expected. He finished with 24 receptions for 296 yards and three touchdowns on 44 targets. You go back to the 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. Uh, Carter was a significant contributor in that game. Three receptions for 56 yards and a touchdown on six targets. One of the plays of the game, Taylor Heineke, a second quarter, third and six, 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Carter, who beat Bucks corner D. Delaney on the play, which also included a perfect pass by our guy, Tay-Tay. You know, DeAndre Carter came to Washington with just... 34 receptions over 43 career NFL regular season games. So him contributing this past season as a receiver as he did was a pleasant surprise. Uh, DeAndre Carter is a journeyman. He entered the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens as an undrafted rookie out of Sacramento State in 2015. He came to Washington having spent time with a bunch of teams, the Ravens, the Oakland Raiders, the New England Patriots, the San Francisco 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Houston Texans, the Chicago Bears. Again, I don't want to make it sound like the commanders have lost some all-pro in DeAndre Carter, but he was never going to cost much. The commanders created salary cap space by releasing those four players on the first day of the NFL's new league year, March 16th, talking about left guard Eric Flowers, interior defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis, the Buffalo Nickel, Landon Collins, and safety DeShazer Everett. So it would seem, and maybe there's more here that we don't know, but it would seem that the commanders just weren't that interested in having DeAndre Carter back. And 
I'm not sure why. All right, before I welcome on Andy Polin, uh, I do want to hit on a Commanders-related item from Thursday. The Buffalo Bills on Thursday officially announced that receiver and Maryland product Stefan Diggs has signed a four-year contract extension. So here we have yet another stud NFL receiver getting paid this offseason. Do not think that Terry McLaurin and his agent aren't noticing. Do not think that Terry and his agent don't realize that them slow-walking contract extension talks with the commanders is exactly the way that Terry and his agent should go. Stefan Diggs' four-year contract extension with the Bills reportedly includes $70 million in guarantees. With two years remaining on his existing deal, Diggs' contract extension brings him to being under team control through the 2027 season. I tell you, the Bills are set up beautifully. Uh, They have their franchise quarterback, Josh Allen, and now their franchise receiver, Stefan Diggs, under long-term deals as the salary cap is about to explode. The Bills have total cost certainty with their two most important offensive players for years to come in an NFL with a rising cap. That is what you call good salary cap management. That's what you call smart player personnel. You know, the Bills are run by two guys who Rod Rivera knows well in general manager Brandon Bean and head coach Sean McDermott. Uh, those guys worked with Ron for years during his time as Carolina Panthers head coach. Bean worked for the Panthers from 1998 to 2017. He joined the franchise in its communications department in 1998, rose to being assistant general manager in June 2015. McDermott was Ron's defensive coordinator for the Panthers for six seasons, 2011 through 2016. You know, the Bills may be mad at our commanders over the J.D. McKissick reversal, but the Bills have Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs under contract for years to come. And yes, I, as a Commanders fan, am quite jealous. Uh, And so Diggs has gotten paid this offseason. Devontae Adams has gotten paid this offseason. The Las Vegas Raiders on March 18th acquired Adams from the Green Bay Packers for two draft picks, the Raiders' first and second round picks in the 2022 NFL Draft. The Raiders then signed Adams to a five-year, $140 million contract that included $65.67 million dollars in guaranteed money, although just $22.75 million were guaranteed at signing. And Tyreek Hill has gotten paid this offseason. The Miami Dolphins on March 23rd agreed to trade five draft picks to the Kansas City Chiefs for Hill, a 2022 first round pick, a 2022 second round pick, a 2022 fourth round pick, a 2023 fourth round pick, and a 2023 sixth round pick, and the Dolphins then signed Hill to a four-year, $120 million contract extension. Uh, The extension included $72.2 million in guaranteed money, including $52.535 million fully guaranteed at signing. Now, the contract is a bit of a phony contract in that the final year of the contract features this outrageous base salary of $43.9 million. Uh, That final year is effectively a void year for the purpose of inflating the average annual value, the AAV of the contract, up to $30 million. Uh, But still, that is a mega money contract. So three mega money contracts for receivers now this offseason. First, Devontae Adams, then Tyreek Hill, now Stefan Diggs. Of course, Terry McLaurin and his agent are watching. And of course, they realize that the best thing that they can do right now is just wait and be patient, and 
let the market be continually reset by others. Like, why sign a contract extension with the commanders now when the price for quality receivers in the NFL only keeps going up? Uh, as I have said, the commanders this offseason need to come hard and come correct and overwhelm Terry McLaurin with a contract extension offer. They need to make him an offer that he can't refuse. But part of the dynamic here may well be that Terry McLaurin and his agent are in no hurry to do a deal. Why should they be in a hurry? The market keeps being reset. And especially when you factor in the extreme quarterback uncertainty that Washington has had over Terry's three seasons with the team and the uncertainty that exists with Carson Wentz as the commander starting quarterback for the 2022 season in terms of how he'll do, why the heck should Terry be in a rush to sign a contract extension with the commanders. He's a year away from the prospect of unrestricted free agency next offseason, or at the very least being franchise tagged by the commanders next offseason. Unless Terry is dying to stay with the commanders, and maybe he is, hopefully he is, but unless that's the case, there really isn't much onus on Terry to sign a contract extension with the commanders this offseason. So they really do need to blow him away with an offer if they're going to get a contract extension done this offseason. Now, as I've said, there is time for the commanders to get a contract extension with Terry McLaurin this offseason done. So many contract extensions don't get done until well into the summer. So I'm not one of these people panicking over a Terry McLaurin contract extension not yet having been done. Uh, But this is a tricky negotiation, given that the NFL's receiver market is blowing up and given the commanders' quarterback instability. Up next, I'll talk commanders with Andy Poland, the host of the Andy Poland Hour, which you can hear weekday mornings at 10 on ESPN 630 DC, the sports capital. We'll talk Dan Snyder, Jack Ken Cook, Carson Wentz, and Ron Rivera. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, time now for our special guest. He was a longtime co-worker. He is a friend. He is a man from whom I've learned so much about how to do what it is that we do, sports talk. He is Andy Poland, a Washington, D.C. sports radio legend. And yes, I do believe that I can use that word legend. Uh, Andy is the host of the Andy Poland Hour, which you can hear weekday mornings at 10 on ESPN 630 D.C., the sports capital. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Poland one Hey, Andy, how you doing? 
Great to have, great to be with you, Al. And uh, like I always say, when they throw around the Warren legends, it's just a euphemism for old. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I hear you. Well, I appreciate you coming on. So there's a lot that I want to get to with you, but with all of the Dan Snyder stuff, and I've been talking about it, I know that you've been talking about it, but the workplace misconduct scandal, the alleged financial impropriety, congressional involvement, do you believe that we are in fact seeing the end of Dan as owner of the commanders, or do you believe that Dan isn't going anywhere? Uh, it may happen, but it's not like the owners are reading the same things and hearing the same things we're saying and say, oh, we have to have a secret meeting and a vote and vote them out. It's, it's not going to happen that quickly if it happens at all. And with what seems to be unfolding now with the Stephen Ross information that's coming out in the Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL, they may have a bigger fish to fry right now. And not that the allegations against Snyder aren't serious, uh, including that he may have been skimming money that was due the rest of the league. Uh, if there is, in fact, evidence that Flores is able to provide that Stephen Ross offered him a bribe to lose games. And then, of course, the whole uh, scope of the lawsuit, which is uh, that the league was uh, guilty of, uh, of, of uh, discrimination, then that's probably something they're going to have to deal with first. And this kind of gets moved to the back burner. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and this is a question that comes up a lot, but why has the NFL essentially protected Dan Snyder for all of these years? Why have the other NFL owners been so loyal to Dan? I mean, a better owner doing a better job with the team would be generating more revenue for the other NFL owners. Do you think this is about the NFL having these other skeletons in the league's closet and fearing what Dan might reveal were he to be ousted? Sure. I mean, look, look at the, just the, the two that Don Benatta has written about in the last month or so. The former director of public relations, who allegedly was a peeping Tom, and league did, or the, I'm sorry, the team did its own investigation, found no wrongdoing, but still paid the four cheerleaders two and a half million dollars. And now this paternity suit that's uh, come out against him, he's already paid money. Uh, to uh, a child or a woman who he had uh, an affair with some years ago. So, I mean, that's maybe just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we saw what happened with Robert Kraft and uh, the incident with the massage parlor that uh, he was able to be acquitted on on a technicality. So, I mean, all, all those things, those are just things that we know about. And Snyder probably knows about a hundred more of them. So they're reluctant to do anything about this. And this ticket skimming scandal... Um, if you do the math, you're not talking about a lot of money because, uh, if, if you look at what the Packers took in in ticket revenue in 2019, I think it was $77 million. You got to imagine the commanders was half of that at most. And then you're talking about 40% of that, you know, and the percentage of the, what they may have skimmed is probably less than $10 million. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Uh, it does make sense, and it does beg the question, is is the juice worth the squeezing if you're going to go right. ahead and do right. something like that? You know, it's crazy with Dan Snyder. He bought the Redskins in May 1999. It was already disliked by a lot of people by the year 2000, and here we are now in 2022, and he's as unpopular as ever. And it's debatable whether he has ever had any significant stretch during which he has been well-liked. Are you at all surprised that Dan, over all of these years as owner of the team, has remained as ultra-unpopular as he has? Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not well-liked, but the, the four years of Gibbs gave him some protection. I, I don't think he was really hated 
during those years because there was such, you know, even though Gibbs didn't deliver the second time around like he did the first time. But, you know, it, it's funny, uh, when he when he first bought the team, uh, he did interviews. And he did one in, I think, his first year with Armin Kittayan of, H, of then uh, HBO Real Sports. And Kittayan said, you know, some people around the league consider you a prick. And he kind of, you know, was surprised about that, but, you know, didn't cut off the interview or anything like that. Uh, I also remember days of uh, there were actual media parties in the early 2000s. He used to have it at Olives and he would show up and he would talk to media people. Uh, I did a couple of interviews with him early on, um, but I, I think as time has gone on, he's become more and more hated. And, you know, some of the moves that he made that he was applauded for, like, bringing Mike Shanahan in that completely blew up. Uh, and the, the one great year of Robert Griffin that turned to dust that hasn't helped them as well. So I mean, there've been things along the way where there have been times where people have looked at him and said, okay, you know, maybe things are turning around. Maybe he's learned and we've heard, Oh, Dan's not as involved as he used to be and that sort of thing. But it always seems to end badly for him. And when it ends, it ends with scorched earth, you know, with, with Bruce Allen, they were like as thick as thieves, it seemed. And when Alan left, now there seems to be possibly a war going on between them with various leaks that are leading to these stories that are coming out. Yeah, it really is amazing. We're talking Commanders, Dan Snyder, and Jack Ken Cook with Andy Polin, the host of the Andy Polin Hour, which you can hear weekday mornings at 10 on ESPN 630 DC the sports capital. So it's funny how things work out as we have all of this Dan Snyder stuff. We this week marked 25 years since the death of Jack Ken Cook. The 25th anniversary was on Wednesday, April 6th. Uh, As a very bad owner for the team and Dan Snyder is having controversy, we're reminded of a very good owner of the team and Jack Ken Cook. So Dan bought the Redskins from the estate of Jack Ken Cook in May 1999 via blind auction. A question for years has been, why didn't Jack Ken Cook leave the team to his son, John Ken Cook? What's your understanding of why Jack didn't leave the team to John? That is, I think, the biggest sports mystery in the history of Washington. It's funny, I had uh, Len Shapiro on the show today. We were talking mostly about the Masters, but uh, I did ask him that question because it came up yesterday with the anniversary of uh, Cook's death, 25 years. And he said he did some actual reporting on this, talked to some people, talked to some lawyers uh, who were involved in, this, in, this, in the, the transaction of the team. And he said a couple possibilities. One, uh, Jack Kincook didn't really know how much John Kincook wanted the team. You know, and the other thing was that I've heard over the years is that Cook valued his assets more than they were actually worth, like the Chrysler building and some of the other investments that he had. You know, he used to call himself a billionaire or people call him a billionaire. He wouldn't correct anybody. But when he died, he really wasn't a billionaire. And there just wasn't as much money available for John Ken Cook as they thought. Um, and also, I don't think that Jack Ken Cook ever imagined that the stadium and the team would sell for $800 million because if I'm not mistaken, the previous high in a sale had been 10 years earlier when Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys for $189 million. So in that 10 year period, it jumped from 189 to 800 million. I don't think Cook imagined that. So I think he underestimated a lot of things. 
And I thought he, I think he thought that, that they could have uh, managed to work things out so that his son could own the team. But when the bidding got to where it was, he just couldn't afford to do it. As you understand things, were there problems between Jack Ken Cook and John Ken Cook, or did they get along just fine? Well, what I had heard, there was another son named Ralph who died before Jack died. And I understand there were problems between the two of them. But uh, John Ken Cook actually worked in the organization. I don't know what his job was, but Jack, as I've been told, was was belittling at times. And he used to call him Johnny Cakes and and things like that. So I I don't but I, I, I never got the sense that they had, there was a fracture between the two of them, that, that John Ken Cook would be with his dad. And, uh, and then when they uh, un- unveiled the stadium, uh, it, was, it was actually Jack Ken Cook Stadium for the first two years until Snyder bought the team and <laughs> ripped the name off it and got a corporate sponsorship. But, um, yeah, he, he, was, he seemingly was, I don't want to say close with his father, but there didn't seem to be any issues that I'm aware of. Let's put it that way. So with Jack Ken Cook, I mean, it's hard not to say that he's the greatest owner in the history of the franchise with the incredible run of four NFC championships and three Super Bowl titles in 10 years. But with Jack, you also have him not having left the Redskins to his son, John Ken Cook, ultimately resulting in Dan Snyder getting the team. And you have Jack having put up this rush job of a stadium in FedEx Field that just about everybody can't stand. What to you is the true legacy of Jack Ken Cook. How should we as fans of the team look back upon Jack Ken Cook? Well, I mean, if you're talking about the greatest owner in the history of the franchise, the bar is pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> George Preston Marshall, yeah. the original owner, was a racist and uh, and kept the team white longer than any other major professional sports team uh, in, in the country. And then, uh, you know, you had Jack Ken Cook actually was the owner when Edward Bennett Williams was the managing partner. Uh, at the time, if you owned an NFL team, you weren't allowed to own other franchises. And Cook at the time owned the LA Forum and he owned the Lakers and he owned the Kings. And so while he was, in fact, the owner, he couldn't operate as the owner. So uh, Edward Bennett Williams did that. And then uh, Cook sold the forum and he sold the Lakers and the Kings. He needed the money because he, at that time, had the most expensive divorce <laughs> in the history of the United States. So, you know, before Bezos uh, had his divorce, which you know, blew that out of the water. But uh, that's what happened. And then he came back to D.C. and moved to Middleburg and, uh, and took over the team, I want to say, late 70s or certainly by the early 80s. And he uh, had, I think he inherited uh, both Bobby Bethard and Jack Pardee, who was the coach. And Bethard wanted to get rid of Pardee. He listened to that. And they brought in this young unknown named Joe Gibbs. And, you know, you had the greatest combination of coach GM, certainly in the history of this city, and, and maybe one of the greatest in the history of the NFL. And Cook was smart enough to, you know, not meddle, that he he relied on those two to make the decisions. And famously, when they would disagree, he would break the tie, but he relied on them to do their work, which is something we haven't seen here over the last 23 years. Jack Ken Cook was such a character, right? He had this way with words. He was very bombastic. How do you think that Jack Ken Cook would have done as an owner in today's NFL? Oh, I, I think he would. It would have worked well. I mean, he liked he liked the media. He liked writers, uh, and he would he would sometimes just call them up just to talk and correct their stories and things like that. And uh, I remember when uh, when in the early days of working with uh, Tony on his show, 
a cook would come on, you know, two, three times a year. And, uh, and then he would, he would, uh, do the interview and then he would call back to the control room and said, let, let me speak to Tony off the air. <laughs> and, and he said, Tony, I would like you to join Marlena and I for lunch if you have time today. And Tony, Tony would say, yeah, okay, I think I can work that out. So yeah, he was, he was like that. And I, you know, I, I mean, certainly he had his, his skeletons and, and Marlena was one of them. Um, she was later arrested for, for, like surfing on the roof of a car in Georgetown while drunk and things like that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think there would, I think he would have understood it. He was pretty bright and pretty savvy, uh, when it came to the press and, and made himself likable publicly, even though behind the scenes, there are some pretty wicked stories about him as well. So yeah, I think he would have worked out. Let's get to the team of today, the Commanders. Uh, where is Andy Polin on Carson Wentz? Uh, can you see Wentz working out as a team starting quarterback? Or is this going to be yet another quarterback fail for our football team? I, I, I don't see how it can't be. I mean, two teams booted him out. Philadelphia took an enormous cap hit just to unload him. He goes to the one team that wants him, the one coach who worked with him, and he's out in a year after a winning record. I mean, I know it was a disastrous end of the season, but what does that tell you? And and when have you ever seen someone who, who was a failure someplace else, mainly seemingly because of his problems off the field, come here and succeed? Doesn't it usually go the other way? Aren't we the reverse car wash? You come in clean, you go out dirty? <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the reverse car wash, uh, Rod Rivera, he's entering Season three as Washington head coach, he himself has made it very clear that this needs to be a step forward season. Of course, so many head coaches under Dan Snyder have not worked out. Ultimately, do you think that Ron is going to work out as head coach of the team? Uh, you know, a lot of that's going to ride on the quarterback. And if, if Wentz is a disaster, uh, I still think Rivera stays another year. I don't, I don't think... I don't think that it is going to end the way it did for Shanahan with the owner and coach butting heads. And mainly they butted heads over Robert Griffin III. But he has, you know, taken over a, a, just an awful situation and, and as best he can has had control of it. Now, he's had his own issues, too. The, the hand-picked trainer, Ryan Vermillion, who came here with him from Carolina, is he still under investigation by the FBI? Yeah. Huh. So that a lot of you know a number of his moves haven't worked as well but he does seem to have brought some order to a team that's always in chaos and they do have a pretty good defense uh terry mclaurin has worked out if curtis samuel is healthy this year uh then they'll have a duo and maybe they draft somebody or, or bring in somebody still in free agency i don't know but um i i mean i think that that in this in this town if they at least flirt with the playoffs, if they maybe even have a, a winning record, if they say win nine games this year, um, I, I think I think he stays for another year. Uh, but if he has another season where he doesn't win, then you only have one year left on his contract. And it's probably time to make another change. Yeah, could be. Andy, uh, very much appreciate you coming on. Uh, all the best to you. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Good talking to you. So Thursday was opening day in Major League Baseball, and unfortunately for the Nationals, 2022 opening day was uh, not exactly a smashing success. Uh, we on Wednesday 
had the game moved from a 4.05 p.m. first pitch to a 7.05 p.m. first pitch due to rain. We on Thursday had the start of the game delayed for an hour and 16 minutes due to rain, so the game didn't start until 8.21 on Thursday night. The game took three hours, 31 minutes, so the game didn't end until close to midnight, and the game ended up being a 5-1 Nats loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park. Uh, Like I said, 2022 opening day for the Nats, not exactly a smashing success. Uh, The Nats offense wasn't good, but I actually want to first address the Nats pitching. So we had Patrick Corbin as the Nats opening day starter, despite him for the 2021 regular season, having had the single worst ERA among all qualified pitchers in the majors at 582. Nothing better captures the state of Nats pitching right now than the guy for the 2021 regular season who had the single worst ERA among all qualified pitchers in the majors being the Nats 2022 opening day starter. And Corbin on Thursday night just wasn't that good. He only lasted for four innings. Now, some of that, yes, is likely due to the abbreviated spring training off the lockout. But still, just four innings from Corbin. He allowed two runs. He gave up five hits, a double and four singles. Uh, He had four strikeouts versus two walks and a hit by pitch. He threw 76 pitches, 44 strikes versus 32 balls. Now, Corbin began his outing by tossing four scoreless innings, but the four scoreless innings did come with some caveats. Uh, Corbin needed 20 pitches to get through a scoreless top of the first. Uh, Corbin in a scoreless top of the fourth benefited from some terrific defense. A great relay throw by shortstop Alcides Escobar to get Pete Alonso out at home off a two-out double by Eduardo Escobar to left center field. And then Corbin fell apart in what ended up being a two-run Mets fifth, uh, during which he gave up two singles, a walk, and a run scoring hit by pitch. Uh, Corbin gave up a leadoff first pitch bun single to Robinson Cano. Corbin then gave up a five-pitch walk to Mark Canna. Corbin then gave up a single to Jeff McNeil up the middle on a one-two pitch to load the bases with no outs. And Corbin then issued a bases-loaded hit-by-pitch of James McCann, despite him having been down to the count at one point, one-two. Nats manager David Martinez then pulled Corbin in favor of reliever Victor Arano. Uh, Now, Arano did a good job. He got Uh, Three outs in facing just two batters, but he did allow an inherited runner to score on a Starling Marte grounder for a force out for the first out in what ended up being that two-run Mets fifth. So here we have the Nats beginning their 2022 regular season with 18 games in 18 days. I actually think that that's part of why the game was played on Thursday night, because there are just so few opportunities this season for teams to make up rain postponed game. So the Nats wanted to get this game in. The game was gotten in, but uh, like I said, the game didn't end till nearly midnight on Thursday night. But you're beginning your season 18 games, 18 days. The Nats pitching staff isn't good to begin with. The potential for the Nats bullpen to get overworked early in the season very much exists. And Patrick Corbin on opening night last for just four innings. Uh, not good. David Martinez on Thursday night ended up using five relievers. That's not good. Uh, The results with the relievers were mixed. Uh, The Nats, five relievers combined to allow three runs in five innings. Uh, Victor Arado was good. He and that Mets 
two run fifth. Like I said, faced two batters, got three outs. Uh, Arano made the Nats opening day roster off having signed a minor league deal with the team. Uh, Austin Voth then came into the game and he struggled. Uh, Voth in a Mets two run six, gave up two runs, got just two outs. He gave up a one out single to Pete Alonso on a one two pitch, threw a two out wild pitch, issued a two out five pitch walk of Robinson Cano, gave up a two-out RBI single to Mark Canna, and gave up a two-out RBI single to Jeff McNeil, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. Andres Machado then came into the game, and he struggled. Uh, he entered the game with runners at the corners and two outs in the top of the six. He issued a two-out hit-by-pitch of James McCann to load the bases, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. Machado did then induce a grounder by Starling Marte for an inning-ending force out, but Machado then gave up a run in the top of the seventh on a leadoff double by J.D. Davis to left field on a 1-2 pitch, followed by an RBI single by Francisco Lindor to left center field. Uh, Patrick Murphy did toss a scoreless top of the eighth, despite beginning it by giving up back-to-back singles to Robinson Cano and Mark Canna, and Mason Thompson did toss a scoreless top of the ninth with three strikeouts, though Thompson also issued a two-out hit-by-pitch of Pete Alonso, despite him having been down to the count at 1.02, and Thompson then issued a two-out six-pitch walk of Eduardo Escobar, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. So a lot of hit-by-pitches by Nats pitchers on Thursday night, a lot of instances in which Nats pitchers failed to put away Mets batters, despite having two strikes on those batters. But the main point here is that five Nats relievers had to be used on Thursday night because the Nats opening day starter, in theory, their number one starting pitcher lasted for just four innings. Uh, As for the Nats offense on Thursday night, not good. Uh, Just one run, just six hits, just two walks, uh, 10 strikeouts. Nats went one for seven with runners in scoring position. You know, the Nats caught a break in this game in facing Tyler McGill, as the Mets starting pitcher, Jacob deGrom, is out with a right shoulder injury. Max Scherzer won't pitch until Friday night as he's coming off a hamstring ailment. But the Nats just did not do much offensively on Thursday night. Uh, someone who did do something offensively, though, uh, was, yes, the best hitter on the planet, Juan Soto. Uh, Soto on Thursday night was an Nats starting right fielder and number two batter. One for three with a solo homer and a walk. Now, Soto in the bottom of the third with runners at the corners and one out struck out swinging on five pitches, but he, uh, shall we say, made up for that with what he did in the bottom of the six, smashing a one-out solo homer to the second deck in right field off Mets reliever Trevor May. The homer per stat cast went and projected 428 feet and traveled at 111 miles per hour. That was some shot by Juan Soto. And Soto in the bottom of the eighth drew a one-out four-pitch walk off Mets reliever Seth Lugo. So good to see Soto do as he did. By the way, I am a big fan of Davey Martinez's lineup on Thursday night. Soto batting in the number two spot. Uh, I love that. That's where a team's best hitter should hit. You know, get that guy as many plate appearances as you can without him being your leadoff hitter. Uh, Davey's lineup Made sense, uh, two through six, with Soto, Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell, Cape Ruiz, and Lane Thomas. I'm not sold on Cesar Hernandez as the leadoff hitter, but, you know, let's see how he does. I'm willing to give him a chance. Hernandez on Thursday night as an at starting second baseman and number one batter went one for four with an infield single. Uh, Nelson Cruz on Thursday night as an at starting DH and number three batter went 0 for four. Josh Bell on Thursday night as an at starting first baseman and number four batter went one for four 
with an infield single, and you can very much argue that Bell benefited from some generous home stadium scoring. Bell in the bottom of the sixth had a two-out infield single on a grounder on which Mets second baseman Robinson Cano failed to make a backhanded catch. Cano really should have made that play. Uh, Bell did get credit for the infield single. I do want to highlight two other positives for the Nets on Thursday night. Uh, K-Bert Ruiz was terrific on Thursday night. Uh, he has the Nats starting catcher and number five batter. Went two for four with a double and a single. Andy went one one on runners trying to steal. Uh, Ruiz in the top of the first threw out Starling Marte on an attempted steal of second on a bullet of a throw. Ruiz in the bottom of the second had a one-out double off the base of the wall in right field off Mets starter Tyler McGill. And Ruiz in the bottom of the sixth had a two-out first pitch single to right field. Also, Alcides Escobar on Thursday night made a tremendous defensive play on which Ruiz also shines. So Escobar was an at starting shortstop and number eight batter. He went one for four with a single and two strikeouts. Uh, Escobar in the bottom of the third had a leadoff single to left field off Mets starter Tyler McGill. Escobar did then nearly get picked off at first base. He was initially called out, but the Nets successfully challenged the play as Escobar maneuvered himself around the attempted tag of Mets first baseman Pete Alonso. But Escobar in the top of the fourth, an excellent relay throw to gun down Pete Alonso at home for the final out in the top of the fourth off a two-out double by Eduardo Escobar to left center field. Uh, Escobar, Alcides Escobar, uh, in shallow center field made a backhanded catch of a throw from Victor Robles, whose throw was actually somewhat offline. And then Escobar quickly turned and fired a straight-line throw to K-Bet Ruiz, who made a nice catch and tag. The throw did not take a hop, but the throw did end up coming in low to Ruiz. Ruiz made a nice reception of the throw and then the tag to get Alonso out at home. Tremendous defensive work on that play by Alcides Escobar and K-Bert Ruiz. You know, it's a weird deal because in the box score, Victor Robles gets credit for the outfield assist. Like I said, Robles' throw was actually somewhat off target. So like Alcides Escobar is the guy who made that play. He's the guy who deserves credit for the assist on the play. Uh, not Victor Robles, but uh, really good defensive work there by Escobar and Ruiz. Uh, also, the Nats on Thursday morning set their opening day roster by making a variety of transactions, including placing a variety of players on injured lists. Uh, the Nats put starting pitcher Steven Strasburg on the 10-day injured list due to his recovery from thoracic outlet surgery last July 28th. It's notable that Strasburg was placed on the 10-day IL and not the 60-day IL, so that is at least somewhat encouraging regarding Strasburg potentially making his season debut in May. Uh, also, the Nats placed infielder A. Ray Adrianza on the 10-day injured list due to a left quadriceps strain that he suffered in an exhibition game now two Thursday nights ago. Uh, the Nats put reliever Will Harris on the 60-day injured list due to what the Nats called right pectoral surgery. Uh, Harris last June underwent thoracic outlet surgery of his own, and he recently had to undergo a cleanup procedure. The Nats have termed that as being right pectoral surgery. So Will Harris, who has done very little for the Nats since they signed him to a three-year $24 million contract as a free agent in January 2020, going to be out for a little while longer with him now being on the 60-day IL. Boy, that signing just has not worked out. Uh, and the Nats put reliever Seth Romero on the 60-day injured list due to a left calf strain as Romero continues to be a bust for the Nats. They took him with their first round pick in the 2017 MLB draft, and the guy has dealt with injury. The guy has dealt with ineffectiveness. 
the guy has dealt with off the field problems. And uh, the news with Seth Romero just continues to not be good. So a bunch of moves made by the Nats on Thursday to set the opening day roster. Like I said, not exactly an ideal opening day for the Nats. Uh, Game two for the Nats in their 2022 regular season. And in this season opening four-game series with the Mets at Nationals Park is on Friday night at 7.05. And the pitching matchup is a juicy one. Josiah Gray versus ex-Nat Max Scherzer, who you know is going to be all kinds of fired up on Friday night. Uh, So Josiah Gray and Kbert Ruiz were the top two prospects who the Nats got back from the Los Angeles Dodgers last July 30th in the trade of Max and Trey Turner to the Dodgers. And Josiah and Max will face off on Friday night at Nationals Park. Should be a lot of fun. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 289. We'll feature much more on the Commanders. We'll see what comes up with them over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, And I, on Monday's show, will discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C., Sports Weekend, what will be a very busy Washington, D.C. Sports Weekend. Uh, The Capitals have back-to-back games against good teams this weekend. The Caps will be at the Pittsburgh Penguins Saturday afternoon at 3, and then home to the Boston Bruins Sunday afternoon at 1.30. The Nationals will play the final three games of the team's season-opening four-game series with the New York Mets in Nationals Park. The Orioles will begin their 2022 regular season with a three-game series at the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Wizards will conclude their regular season. The Wiz will host the New York Knicks Friday night at 7, and then will be at the Charlotte Hornets on Sunday afternoon at 3.30. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. That's very, very hard to do. You should Google that. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.